Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We are going to head off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline, and we welcome back to the show Sportsnet color analyst Louis DeBrusque uh, for GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts, turbochargers at great prices since 1972. GCLDiesel.com. Hello, Louis. How are you doing? Doing well today, Bob. How are you? Good. After spending basically a month on the road, you've had a chance to, to watch your old team, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, what did you make of John Cooper's postgame comments last night? Uh, you know what? I think he was right. I mean, I think when you watch when you watch the replay, and I went back and watched it many times. Uh, I know that the one um, frozen frame that a lot of people are showing here, when McKinnon is standing right beside the bench, and what you have to realize is when Kadri jumped on the on the ice, and Chushkin took a little turn, he didn't come to the bench, and. Those two guys were in the middle of the ice, built up full speed. When he got the puck and entered the zone, McKinnon still hadn't left the ice. So was it a too many men? Absolutely. The other thing, too, that I thought, Bowen Byron, when the puck was cleared out of the zone right before the goal was scored, he kind of reached up with the stick. And I was watching the game with my wife, Cindy, and I said, you know, I think he might have got a piece of that. I think that's a high stick and should have been whistled down. But then when you watch the replay over and over again, it, you, you just can't tell, excuse me, whether or not he touched that puck. So, you know what, listen, calls get missed all the time. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. It's a hard, a it's a hard game there, to officiate. Absolutely. There was a ton of games, a ton of calls that were missed in that game. I thought, you know, Ross Colton got hit right in the numbers. Um, it seems like Wes McCauley, by the way. Doesn't seem to like to call those. If you remember earlier in the year in Seattle, he was the the official that was, you know, officiating that game when Sevier got crushed right in the numbers by Jeremy Lazon. And I know that's just one that we remember because we were watching that I game. I couldn't we believe that game. I could not believe that that was not a hitting from behind major. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm sitting here going, now I know he's an old school guy. I know he, you know, and I love top the five official, top five official in the league. 100%. I had a great conversation with Dallas, and the next time I see him, I'll probably have a little conversation with him about that, about the reason why he doesn't feel that's a penalty. and doesn't want to call that. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, we can argue it all you want. If you look at it, Tampa Bay was also late in their changes at that time. I mean, it was a mad scramble in zone. Um, the Avalanche almost finished the game off. At that point in time, everybody was scrambling back in a long change in overtime to try and get back to their respective benches. There's usually a little more leeway the officials give in that situation. Was it too many men? Absolutely. Nazem Kadri jumped on the the ice way too early. The guy didn't come off that he thought was going to come off. By the time he got the puck with full speed entering the zone on the far side of the center, McKinnon hadn't even got off the ice yet. So he literally went over half of an ice width before the guy he was supposed to be taking got off the ice. So, yeah, I think they jumped the gun a little bit on that. But that's what it is. That's, you know, unfortunately, that's going to be one of those things that we talk about for a long time, similar to the Martin Jelena no goal against the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2004, where I thought it was over the line, but people want to talk about paradigms and all this kind of angles and all this. Well, you know what, you can say whatever you want. But I thought it was a goal. Um, but it is what it is. There's still life in Tampa Bay. I think they're really banged up, though, Bob. I, I think for the first time watching that game, I it's thought caught up to them. 
this team looks like, I mean, when I saw Sorelli go down and he, the way he grabbed his arm and I'm like, what happened? Did he charge something with a shoulder? Like I have no idea what he did when he fell. I know Cologne skate was right in there, but they're so banged up right now. They play with five defensemen for essentially half the game. I, you know, you can just tell. They, they played three long years of hockey. And if you go back further, this is their sixth conference final in eight years. That is an extreme amount of yeah. hockey for any team to play. Now, people are going to argue lockout, shortened season. I don't care. It's the intensity of the playoffs. This team have been, has been warriors. Whoever they've revolved into that that organization and that team has stuck right in there and filled holes. Their nucleus is banged up. Um, I'm sorry. This is this is the, this is the Avalanche's cup to lose. They they have to have oh, that killer stick now, and they're they're going to come out flying in game number five. I I think it's over in game five. Personally, I don't think so. Do I. Uh, I agree. I just think I, I, I've called them in that building. Uh, you've called them in that building. The way they can come out and punish you early on with that explosiveness, I think they'll be so fired up that. Um, It'll be everything Tampa Bay can do to be not down a couple of goals in the first period. Yeah, Louis. I mean, there's there's a boxing saying if you watch old fight tapes, and I know you do, from the 50s and the 60s, he's ready to go, meaning he's ready to go down. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a great, yeah. Right. It's so true, though, right? And I mean, Tampa Bay. One on the Ta- chin, it might, maybe it grazes the chin. But it's kind of set it up. It's now this guy is he, they're scrambling. There's they're, no they're, they're ready to they're ready to go. But, but in saying that, in saying that, they're still a champs. They're, they're yeah, still they're, a champs. They've got a fighters puncher's chance because they're that good. And 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 we've seen that in a lot of fights. I think of a Foreman fight. Uh, I can't remember who he was fighting. Jack's the big boxing guy. He'd be able to name the guy. You probably know who it was. Um, they knocked each other down five or six times in the first round. He just kept getting knocked out. And, but that's the thing. Each guy would get back up and boom, you know, they would hit the next guy. But that was Foreman. You know, he'd get knocked down a couple oh, of times. Oh, you're talking Foreman. It was with Ron Lyle in 76. It. After, yeah. it was, and, and, and for the listeners that are maybe unaware, Ron, Ron Lyle actually, I think, grew up in Denver. Uh, ironically enough, and he was one badass. Okay, like he was, he was in j- he he learned how to box in jail. Okay, uh, he I'm pretty sure uh, was a convicted murderer that did his penance and then got out, and he could take a punch. And him, and, it was the fight of the year. I'm pretty sure 1976. It was, it was yeah, for, for heavyweights. You don't. Yeah, you don't see heavyweights like I mean, we all know that Ali dusted off Foreman in '74, and that was a huge upset. And uh, you know, Foreman put down uh, Smoke and Joe Fraser six or seven times, and yeah. people were screaming to stop the fight. Um, one of the great you went and saw Bill Burr, right, Louis? Yep. Much, yep. much, to, much to my chagrin. I like everything about Paul Coffey except the fact that he invited you and Jack to Bill Burr, not me. That really, well, I get, you, you, you had another function. And I know, I, and, and I, I would know. never, I would never stand up the, uh, our friend Rob uh, in, on that function. But uh, speaking of Joe Fraser, do you know, he in his Philly rant that Bill Burr, Bill Burr did a comedy show in Philadelphia, and they were it's Philadelphia, they were booing everybody off the stage, and he goes, everything you need to know about Philadelphia. He goes, is you guys have a statue for a, uh, for a boxer who's not real, and Joe Fraser's from Philadelphia. It was one of the greatest lines of all time. Anyways, the fight of the year in 76, that's what you're referring to, was Foreman and Lyle. 
There was one in 2009, too. Remember Gotti and uh, uh, Mickey Ward? That was an Gotti awesome. Ward, they were all great. They were, but the ninth round was yeah. in the first in the, the first of the trilogy. Was, and I always say this, and you know, you know, he's he's passed on now, which is really sad. But Marvis Marvin Hagler, who was one of my all-time favorites, I loved watching that guy fight. He was just he could he could throw both. He could he could fight left, fight right. He could switch it up if you wanted to bang. He could bang. He could box you. Um, you know, never got put to the canvas in his pro career, which is pretty remarkable because he ducked nobody. He never ducked an opponent ever. But him and John the Beast Mugabe went at it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to watch that fight. If you, you just have to go on YouTube and watch it. You'll see what I mean. Because I, I just don't understand how either of them were standing, but the fact that Hagler could take, because John the Beast Mugabe could absolutely get a bomb of a right hand, like a crushing right hand. And Hanger just ate it like it was Smarties, like no problem, like let's go. Well, and I just stopped. I just I was in the fight game myself to a, a, a minimal degree compared to those guys, but I can tell you, I just when I watched those, I just cringed because I'm like, wow, those they were just unbelievable. Hagler Hearns was a great like the first round of Hagler Hearns was off the charts. They both landed oh, bombs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but that's what I mean. The Tampa Bay Lightning always have a fighter's chance, always have that one one punch yep. opportunity to come out. I thought they were in control of game number four, to be honest. Uh, but Andrew Cogliano, who, you know, when I look at that team, and because we know him from here in Edmonton where he started his career, but just a guy that epitomizes what it is to be a pro hockey player, to absolutely grind every single night, make sure you're in the best possible shape you can be in, use the attributes you're given, and he continues to grind along. That's a huge goal for him, and if he was to win the Stanley Cup, I'll be uh, very, very happy for him because he's one of the good guys. He's one of the good guys, absolutely. Hey, we, we, we oh, I know what it was. Brendan brought up during NHL today for elite promotional marketing, Louis DeBrus joining us from GCL, uh, for, for GCL Diesel. Uh, he brought up uh, the need for Ottawa to build a downtown arena. We've got lots of texts that have come in on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Look at how, and we haven't even seen the full benefit of what's occurred in downtown Edmonton here because of the pandemic. And we saw how crazy it was during the three rounds of the playoffs. And it's my hope, and frankly, it's my belief that the Oilers could be at the start of a run where maybe they, you know, they they're a, a top eight team for the next five to eight years here. But Louie, just just speaking, circling back to Ottawa. Uh, for me, and I don't like ever bad-mouthing a Canadian city, but the location in Ottawa and out in Canada, man, it sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it's unique in that regard. There's no question. It's pretty far out there, you know, and that's the thing. Like, it's a, it's a substantial drive to get out there through traffic every night to get to games. And you know what? Listen, they still they, they still get people to come out, and especially they, they've had some really tough years here, but... I think there's a little resurgence with the team uh, in the sense that they have good young players, and I think people can see the light at the end of the tunnel in the rebuild. But, yeah, it's a difficult location. It's no different than, to be honest, Glendale. You know, Glendale, when Phoenix decided to build that arena out there, I know they were trying very hard to build that arena in Scottsdale. It just never came to fruition. But we always felt, and I, you know, we had our practice facility in Scottsdale where it still remains today in Phoenix, and we played downtown um, at the Area America West. But, you know, we thought that if that building would have been built over in Scottsdale, if you're just in so much closer proximity to the university, you're, it's, it's kind of in the wheelhouse of what Phoenix is. It just would have brought in a lot of number one tourists where people go to stay typically when they go there, and it would have been a better location. But 
Location is everything. I really believe it's it's important. I think people that are diehard fans will obviously drive to go see a hockey game, but that's a pretty that's a pretty good trek out from Ottawa to go and uh, watch a game in Canada. All right, let's hit on some quick hitter items with the Edmonton Oilers with Louis DeBrus. Louis, your thoughts on Jay Woodcroft receiving a three-year contract extension as head coach? Well, a foregone conclusion. We knew that was coming, and I, and I think it's a great call by Ken Holland and uh, Daryl Cates and the Oilers organization to hang him up. He's a Listen, I thought he came in and he uh, he did what, we, what everybody expected him to do. He came in here and, and righted the ship, uh, him and Dave Manson jumping on board, and I thought they did an amazing job. And Jay, you know, was kind of grinded to get to this point. So congratulations to him. I think it's awesome. And I think he's at a great age point myself. I think he's been around. He's been in this league for a long time in different capacities. He went down and grinded and and you know, honed his skills at the American Hockey League level, which in this organization gave him the opportunity to do that. He grabbed that opportunity. You like to see it done that way. In my opinion, I like to see guys that kind of do it the right way. Dave Manson did it the right way too. And I'm sure that that's also going to get done eventually here. I know they haven't uh, decided on the assistant coaches, but I kind of like the dynamic. I like the dynamic that was on that bench. It seemed like they're a real tight-knit group. Um, we'll see what transpires here uh, in the next little while with Ken Holland getting other, other uh, coaches signed. But you know what? I'm glad Jay Woodcross is back, and congratulations to him. Yeah, well, I, and, and again, uh, I, I would suggest to you that uh, it's a fait accompli that Dave Manson comes back. Um, you know, sometimes third assistants get moved out for different opportunities. Uh, the Oilers have a farm. T- I don't know if anything's been verified yet. It's, it's all got to get put together between now and June 30th, and then we go full bore into the potential of uh, – you know, free agency and it. And the, I guess the NHL draft and free agency. Have you watched any of the Memorial Cup, Louie? I actually haven't, Bob. You know, to be oh, honest, okay. um, I, I caught uh, like just glimpses of the games, but I haven't really dove into it too much, to be honest. I just, uh, timing-wise, this hasn't been one of those things that I've jumped okay. into, but I'll, I'll probably pick it up. I'll probably pick it up a little bit and start to... All right. Uh, I'll circle to something else. Uh, any thoughts on the Oilers' potential goaltending targets? And do they maybe need to look at a guy that's under contract, see if a team will give, uh, you know, eat some money? Uh, because we've had uh, a couple textures over the last couple of days suggest Sergei Bobrovsky out of Florida. I, I have no idea, uh, you know, myself if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, the Oilers, this might not be the easiest market for a Russian player to play in, especially these days when there's 350,000 Ukrainians in the province of Alberta. But uh, tell me this. What do you think? Ooh, big price tag. Um, how does that get done? Are you, are you talking about... Uh, uh, a 50% salary? Res- yeah. I, I don't know. I don't well, know how it gets I mean. like, well, why? I don't understand why... But we've had two texts in the last two days. That, but, and, and to be honest with you, listen, when he's on, he's one of the best goalies in the league. I'm talking top five, no question. But the, th- the thing with Bobrovsky for me is the consistency. So you're talking about a guy that goes in and out of that consistency. Now, he's put up numbers, don't get me wrong. But if you look at his numbers this year, I mean, he played on a pretty darn good team that outscored a lot of the problems they had. You know, that's the way I look at that. They were a high-scoring team. Um, I don't I, I don't think I would go there personally. I'm just going to say no. Yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to say it. We have, we have lots I, of people saying they're hearing that Florida would eat half. I'm, you know, I guess I'd have no, to look. $5 million, now, listen, at $5 million, 
understand why there's some appeal there for sure at five million. Um, I just pumped him up here in the computer. He's 33 years old. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a goaltender now that's been around for a while. Yeah. Like, and again, his top game is elite of the elite. Um, we saw it. We saw it firsthand this year against the Oilers. You know, he can play a game where he's outstanding. Uh, but again, I just there's a big question mark there for him with me. There's a big question mark there. Are, are, Here, but here's the thing: um, if you get him at half, okay, I might exercise that a bit. I might look at that and last, see how that works. Three years in Florida, Louis is nine hundred nine oh six nine thirteen. To put things in perspective, last two years, Mike Smith was nine twenty three and nine fifteen. So Smith, I mean, granted, you know, he was in Florida. He went 39-7-3 this year, but a 9-13 save percentage. And then in the playoffs, he was 9-11. And, uh, you know, they won their first series four games to two against Washington and then lost in four straight. Where but the guy he played in the other end at Vasilevsky was unreal. Gave up three goals in the four games. And as you know, yeah. he can do that, Vasilevsky. He can make that happen. Yeah, you know, like four years left on that deal. Hmm. Yeah, you got to weigh the risk. You have to weigh the risk. Uh, yeah. You know that makes it interesting. If you're talking fifty percent, legit fifty percent, then yeah, I, I think uh, you have and, to at least look at that. Yeah, and Troy yeah. and the, Troy and a Hemi Louis just texted and say Bob would uh, Bob Rovsky won't move his uh, won't waive his no movement clause. Yeah, the, war, exactly. the, war, like, the, the warm I mean, weather, the lower tax bracket to come here. Why would a Dale Talon got fired over this? Why team. I don't exercise these, you know, kind of. I don't even know what you want to call them, but I don't want to say pipe dreams, but these situations that deeply because I just, you know what? I, I just don't understand how that works, but you know what? I guess crazier things have happened, but uh, again, I'm not necessarily a hundred percent sold. You just said the numbers. You just proved the numbers. Now, again, they played in, he played in, behind a different type of team. Paul Maurice has got in there. I listened to his comments the other day and he said, obviously he doesn't want to touch too much. The offensive ability that this team has, but there's no question they need to play defense. There's no question they need they need to learn how to really lock it down. They have all the offensive talent they need. They can score. Now, they couldn't score against the Lightning, but the Lightning is one of the best teams and has been the best team for two years of shutting teams down. Yeah. And they've done it for 11 straight series. So, you know, it's not a fluke. It's not a fluke that they're shutting teams down. Even the Toronto Maple Leafs, who I know people want to uh, – we have a fun time kind of giving it to the Leafs here out west, but – at the same time, that was a pretty high-octane team that pushed Tampa Bay to the, to the limit early in the playoffs when they were fresh. You know, that was when they had Braden Point until Game 7. You know, so right. that, was, that, that was as strong and as loaded as the Tampa Bay Lightning have been, and Toronto pushed them right to the brink. Um, they didn't get it done, but that's what championship teams do. Jeez, we haven't even... Away. Louie, we haven't even talked about this. And I, you know, Connor McDavid, uh, second in the heart, which didn't surprise me. Five guys did not vote for him. Uh, five of the voters did not vote for – there was 195 voters. Five did not have McDavid on uh, 
their ballots. And I know I put a tweet out yesterday, you would have laughed, and I said everybody's entitled to their opinion. But was there actually a Pittsburgh-based writer that didn't have Connor McDavid in the top five for the Hart Trophy? FYI, McDavid had two goals and eight points plus seven in two games played versus the Penguins this season. I guess he didn't see McDavid good. That always shocks me. The same thing thing happened. There was a guy from Colorado the one year, and he didn't have McDavid in the in the uh, top five, uh, and that was the year McDavid was the first star in all three games against Colorado. Well, guess what? This year, McDavid was the first star in both games against Pittsburgh, and the guy from Pittsburgh doesn't have him uh, in the top. And I'm like, well, I guess, it, like, did, were you not impressed by what he did against the team? And a lot of these guys don't travel, so the only time they would have seen him was when McDavid was in town to play their team, right? Because that's the other thing with the writers. And again, everybody's entitled to your opinion. But I got to tell well, you. I mean, he, I mean, he only put up his fifth 100-point season. He should have been six consecutive if it wasn't for only 64 games played the one year. He had 97 points. So he would have been easily into the his sixth consecutive 100-point season. And he set a career high in assists and points and goals. Like So not only did he blow up the league again, he literally set career highs in every single statistical category. And, by the way, he still leads the playoffs in scoring. <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? He shouldn't be in your top five. Do I really have to answer that question? Yes. Like, come on. You know how this works. Again, this is a West-East thing. And as much as people don't want to argue that, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Austin Matthews didn't have an amazing season. He had a great year. Broke 100 Those two guys should have been career. on everybody's list. They that, should. That's all I'm saying is that if you didn't have both of those guys on your list and the, and the five players you picked in the league, there's something wrong with you. And the guy from there's Pittsburgh, wrong he didn't have either. So, he, didn't, he didn't have either guy, either Matthews yeah. nor McDavid. Well, yeah, and we, well, yeah. What what, what, are you, what league are you watching? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, guy scored 60 goals for the first time since, was it Stamkos was the last one to do it? Yep. So, like, what are you watching? I don't understand what you're watching. I mean, how there, do you not have either There, of those there was a voter, Louie, that had Tuka Rask on, on their all-star team. But here's the thing. I guess that's why they call it subjective, right? And unfortunately, that's what played it, four, it is. Tuka Rask it's, played four <laughs> games, Louie. <laughs> four <laughs> games! No, like, I... Uh, that's why it's kind of silly. I, I just, yeah. it's silly and. I hear you. All right. Hey, Louie, we're up against the clock. I, I interrupted you a couple times. My apologies. Just, I get excited on this topic. So oh, thanks great. for joining us, my man. All right, buddy. Take care. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, that is Louis DeBrusque. It is 12.56 in Edmonton. We're going to, uh, eh, what are we going to do here? We're going to tell you that guests on the show uh, received guest certificates from Roos Chris Steakhouse. Louis DeBrusque's appearances are brought to you by GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972. Visit gcldiesel.com for more information. A reminder. That the Orders Now Injury Report is brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Unrivaled experience, unrivaled commitment, unrivaled results. I talked to Trent Brown today. It's good to hook up with him. Uh, Trent was a two-time CFL All-Star. It's this simple. James H. Brown they're the best. And I do want to mention to you, for you Oilers fans out there that are into uh, 
Oilers-specific memorabilia. The end-of-the-year Oilers merchandise sale is taking place tomorrow and Saturday from noon to 6 p.m. in Ford Hall at Rogers Place. It is open to the public, 50% off on all home and away jerseys, 50% off on all playoff items, and up to 50% off on select Oilers apparel and novelties. We will head off to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson. When we come back from the NHL Network, former general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he started Octagon's player agency, the number one overall pick in the 1983 NHL draft, Brian Lawton. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.